Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron. And joining me is my fellow host, Ariel. Hello. Get off your switch. <laughs> no, listen, this goat just uh, pooped out a truffle. So. Oh my gosh. Breath of the Wild. I'm done now. <laughs> and we also have some wonderful, amazing guests with us today. We have our Golden Goddess level patron, Kex. Hello, everyone. And we have our uh, returning uh, co-host, and now we're going to call him Professor, because uh, he's going to come hang out with us on all the theories and put-together episodes. <gasps> Professor Wolf! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, whatever. <laughs> he's playing a Switch, too. I'm not playing Legend of Zelda, though. <laughs> Uh, so today's episode, we're going to go over some, uh, pretty interesting theories. And then I want to discuss the theory I actually have. I'm going to go off course here. I talked about this in the car with Wolf on my way home from work today, actually. Wait, did you Um, actually talk to me about a theory? (laughs) I did talk to you about a theory. You weren't paying attention. (laughs) I might have, my bad. Uh, So it actually has to do with the Breath of the Wild, uh, game and, some of the items that we can find in it that are outside of their timelines and maybe in an explanation as to why. But we'll get to that at the end of the episode. And I'm here to tag along. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado, let's let's give uh, Kex has got some wonderful four sword theories. Let's hear about those. So to lead with An interesting one. I did mention this in the Discord, but something that I noticed at the very beginning of the game that stood out to me, when we first enter the Shrine of the Four Sword, Princess Zelda tells us to be very careful and to not touch the sword, because to do so will shatter our body into pieces. Now, we know what that means. It means splitting us into four. But the fact that she cautioned us against what is largely the the sword's strongest feature, that always stood out to me a little. And... Hmm? I feel like that makes sense because not only does it split a person into four, it divides them by personality. So depending yeah. on what your traits were, that could make other use much more volatile. I think you are exactly right, actually. Um, if in, in the manga, which I know is not canon, but that is sort of where I got this idea from. In the manga, it very much plays on that idea. The four links all have different personalities. And indeed, when you think about it, the name Link came about because he is an avatar for the player. He is quite literally a link between the player and the game. With there being four links, there are now four players. And as Wolf said, for potentially very different personalities. The fact that she cautioned us made me 
wonder if this is possibly meant to be taken a step further. Once the sword is returned, the four merge back into one. I cannot help but wonder if the minds truly do merge back into one, or if that person must now live with four conflicting personalities in their mind, almost like a classic depiction of multiple personality syndrome. And when I mean, when I say classic, I mean old fashioned. I'm not a psychologist. (laughs) So I (laughs) do not know how exactly it works in reality, but in old movies and such, it would work similarly to this. I also think this sort of because of the background of the hero of the four sword. I, the original one before this game, Mm -hmm. I have yet to listen to your episode, but did you two cover the original hero of the four sword after the Uh, but before this game? Yes, somewhat. We went into the actual, like, heroic story of it. We didn't go into the actual characterization. Not to worry. I will not take up too much time doing this necessarily. But one thing that I do wish to point out is that he was sort of a hermit. Much more so than we see really any other Link in the series. All we know about his background is that He came from the forest. He already had the four sword to begin with, which leads many people to speculate that he may be a direct blood descendant of the hero of Minish. Mm -hmm. He heard what was happening, said he would defeat Vati, did so. And after escorting the girls back, he simply went back to the forest, never to be heard from again. If he had always wielded the four sword, perhaps that is why we see him alienate himself from the west from the rest of society. He struggles to live in normal society because he is quite literally four people in one body because of what this sword has done to him. Okay. I like where this is going. Can I add a little bit of piece of info here as well? Absolutely. So I like this theory for one simple principle, and that is since the timeline change up, since now we know Minish goes before uh, Four Swords. In Minish, we see Vati as a normal, you know, villain, so to speak. But in Four Swords, Vati is explained as a rampaging, vicious, basically just a creature. Yes. And it basically explained that he has no memories of his previous existence. So that being said, Vati at the end of Minish was sealed away into the Four Sword. Yes. Much like Demise at the end of Skyward Sword. Exactly. But as we know with Demise and Gandalf and all the Gandalf, <laughs> Ganondorf. You're welcome. Yeah, Ariel in the last episode, Gandalf. Uh, we know with Demise and Ganondorf and all these other ones, anybody who's been sealed in the ma- sealed in the Master Sword doesn't lose anything of themselves. But with the Four Sword, it's different rulings. Your theory almost goes hand in hand with what's happened with Vati. Vati's lost part of himself a major part of himself to the sword. Yes. And it even mentions in Four Swords that Vati is not as powerful as he used to be. So I would say, honestly, I'm on board with this theory because it would explain a lot with what's happened to Vati, especially since, I mean, the Four Swords relatively... Uh, we really don't know a whole lot about the four sword other than it can split a hero into four. Possibility that it may do irreparable damage to the mind. 
is the reason why, honestly, it is not my favorite sword outside of the Master Sword. I remember in a previous episode, Wolf had asked you what your favorite sword in the series was apart from the Master Sword. If I had to answer that, that is the only reason why I would not say the Four Sword, because when you think about it, that sword, if, it, if this theory is wrong and it does not have that drawback, when you set aside the Master Sword's superior ability to repel evil, this sword is actually by far one of the most dangerous relics in this series. Can you imagine it splitting someone with more experience and more training in swordplay into four, such as the first hero, or the hero of time, or the hero of twilight with all of their sword techniques? Can you imagine four of them fighting at once? I would even put it to you even worse and say, why not Demise himself? Or Ganondorf splitting into four, or, you know, Vati splitting into four. Any of these big baddies we've had to fight, splitting them into four would be devastating. Barely enough, that is actually possible. Um, but it, I would have to go a little bit into Four Sword Adventures to explain why. <laughs> May I? Well, well, hmm. You know what? <clears throat> Let's hold off on to that one for a little All bit. Right. <laughs> uh, because I want to save that till we get to Four Swords Adventures. <laughs> I do not blame you, but put a pin in that then. A very a pin long in pin in that thought. <laughs> so, with that theory, let's skip over to Wolf. Wolf, I hear you got a theory for us. No, um, I do have one for much farther in the future about um, the fate of what happens to the Four Sword after the adventures are said and done and it disappears. Uh, you know what? Actually, you know what? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Kex, we'll jump back to your theory. Hold your theory. I don't, I don't want to. And Wolf. <laughs> Let's talk about what happens to the Four Sword after Four Swords Adventures. Yes, now he has me very curious. Yes, that's that. Yep, we're doing both of these now. There's no hand, <laughs> hands down. We're doing both of these. <laughs> oh, you know what? This has nothing to do with where the Four Swords ends up. This is about where the Four Sword is in the different timelines. Oh, well, I am oh. so very curious about that. Let's go. Let's hear <laughs> about that. Because So... Minish Cap and Four Swords uh, take place in the unified timeline. So before yes. the thing split, so technically that would mean the Four Swords should exist in all three timelines. So, so if we look at Four Swords Adventures, which takes place in the child timelines, we're going to have to delve into the chamber of the Four Sword. It's not specified where it is. So, in Four Swords Adventures, we end up going through a portal to get to uh, the chamber of the Four Sword, which indicates that the chamber is most likely not of the world itself. Right? Okay, yeah. Because that's, that's the only way to reach it. So... I am going to make an even larger leap that the Chamber of the Four Sword actually exists within the Sacred Realm. Oh. Alright. Okay. So, we're gonna jump to the Link to the Past remake for the Game Boy Advance, which we were talking about earlier. That I think you said you never played Crit. Um, yeah, I never got to play the remake. Um, so Nintendo themselves have said this specific translation of the game is canon to the timeline. It is the canon version. And there in this specific version, uh, the Chamber of the Four Swords is present in the Dark World, where it's shattered and Link has to face four shadow versions of himself. And the important thing to remember is that the Dark World is nothing more than the sacred realm shaped in um, Ganon's image at this mm -hmm. point. Yep. Yes. So, 
it wouldn't be too far-fetched to put these things together to assume that the Chamber of the Four Swords and the Four Swords Adventures is in fact within the Sacred Realm itself. So, that... So, I don't know why. That's probably done to help sustain the still seal on Vati. Um... So... That's my thoughts on where the sword is in the other timelines. It's within the sacred realm, which at a point becomes the dark war, uh, realm. Hmm. That. Go ahead, Kex. Well, I and... never thought of that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say one more thing about... um, So, even in the realm where, like, the timeline where the sword shatters, uh, Link to the Past, um, and all of that, um, in the Dark World, and where Ganon ends up taking over the Sacred Realm, the reason we may never see Vati or anything, he might have tried to take it over. He's a control freak. We already know that. Uh, Ganon already has the full Triforce in one of those timelines, especially. So he might have just dispatched Vati himself. So for even defying him. Wolf, I think you are honestly almost exactly right. I never considered this possibility before, but your theory actually plays very well into another theory that I have. It does involve a little bit of Link's awakening, <laughs> but um, there is a villain in there, and for the sake of you three, I will say it, but with the magic of editing, you can remove this if you want. The Nightmare, the main boss in Link's awakening, mm-hmm. its final form, which I assume is its true form, because... As I understand it, that is usually how final forms work. And also the music changes to be more dramatic when it assumes this form. Its final form is actually very, very similar to Vati. The same eyes, well, the same arms, I meant to say, and the same singular eye in the middle. The shape of the head is a little different, but other than that, It is alarmingly similar. I wonder if things did not play out almost exactly as Wolf just said, but instead of Vati dying truly and moving on to the afterlife, I suppose, he became the nightmare, a shell of even his shell's former self, and could only haunt the windfish in sleep. He can no longer exist in the world of the waking, and so sought to rule Kohulan Island. Now, the specifics of that could, of course, come and go, but the point is, is Wolf, I, I think you are possibly right. In fact, I am almost confident you are right now that I think about it. I would... I would throw uh, my hat in that coin and say, uh, yeah, it sounds right. I mean, especially since Nintendo basically said, this is canon. This remake is canon. And that is where the Four Sword was. That's, you know, that's where it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And rather than it moving or being moved there, it would just make sense that it was already there. Mm -hmm. I like this. (laughs) Now, well, one follow-up question. Does this mean potentially in the future we could see a game in the adult timeline where Vati returns, since that is the only timeline now where the Four Sword, and as a result Vati, is not accounted for yet? It, absolutely, it could be possible. Just I as would it's- like to see that. It's possible for whatever reason we end up dwelling into the sacred realm ourselves. I mean, these are all possibities with Breath of the Wild too. 
Or Breath of the Wild too. <laughs> that is true, though. So long as Vati still lives in at least one timeline, he could show up in Breath of the Wild too. Hmm. Well, with all this speculation, it's making me hungry for some merch items. So Justice. I think this is the perfect time <laughs> to go to a mid-break. Well, here we are, Ariel. We're in the middle of the show. Oh, we are? We are. Oh, wow. We're in the middle, middle of the episode Oh, wait. It's love, wait. awful middly in here. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's <laughs> awful middly in here. Do you know what we do first in the middle of the show? Uh, no. Why don't you enlighten me? Mm. It's too hot to think. You know what? I'm just going to let Kex do it. Kex, what do we do first thing in the middle of the show? Thank our... Sp- <laughs> Thank the sponsors, it sounds like. <laughs> patrons. The patrons. Thank the patrons. Wolf was so excited about sponsors. that. <laughs> <laughs> and we tried. We got there. Wolf was so excited. <laughs> but yes, we have to thank our patrons. So first off, we have to thank you, Kex, for being a Golden Goddess level patron. So thank you, Kex. <laughs> you are very welcome. <laughs> uh, the next one we have to thank is our royal or Hyrule royalty, Paul Butt. Uh, I'm never going to use to saying that name. <laughs> um, and I almost want to say it's like a boot, but I'm not sure. So if I'm saying it wrong, please feel free to send me a hate mail. Uh, please don't do that. No, uh, <laughs> please do. <laughs> uh, our next uh, patron is our Sheikah patron. Relic to Redman and our Kokiri patron, Remington Coutier. So a huge thank you to our patrons. Um, we are rolling into, I think, month three of our Patreon being live. Uh, I have no idea because my show doesn't have one. Uh, on its way. <laughs> uh, but no, once we hit month six, we're going to give out some nice little goodies to each one of the patrons at uh, $25 and above levels and uh, they're going to get some like uh, goodie goodie gifts and uh, Kex I think Kex has got a special one of a kind uh, merch item coming your way don't you Kex? I I think so (laughs) I've (laughs) honestly not been keeping track but yes I I think I was supposed to get something (laughs) I I see I think you're supposed to get a mug I think is what you chose was a custom mug yes um so yeah if I picked a shirt my friend would steal it from me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh different tiers get different awesome cool stuff um didn't mention it last episode but because of Patreon's rules, we can't do giveaways. We originally had a bunch of giveaways and stuff set up on the Patreon, but that stuff's going to have to change. So instead of giveaways at each level from $25 and above, instead, you're going to be gifted a wonderful uh, collectible item or cool LOZ merch uh, varying in different levels. So from $25, you'll be getting a uh, minor gift for... Uh, for our $50 patrons, you'll be getting a medium gift. And for our goddess level patrons, you'll be getting a really super awesome gift. And these will come out to you every six months. So if you're on our Patreon, make sure your addresses are updated for all the lovely goodies we're going to send. And if you're not on Patreon and this sounds awesome to you, uh, go ahead and head to Patreon, uh, Legend of Zelda Lorecast Patreon, and get yourself signed up. Um, I think our next goal, I think, is $450 monthly, and we're going to be gifting a Switch to one of our patrons. So that'll be fun. <laughs> so with all that being said, the next thing we have to do is uh, rattle off some of these uh, awesome, awesome five-star reviews we got. We got a ton of these, Ariel. We still have a ton left to go through. Yep. <laughs> So we're just going to get right into it. Uh, This one comes from Sid Raid. uh, LOZ podcast. I love this podcast. I've been a Zelda fan my whole life and I never get tired of listening to people talk about it. You all do an amazing job of the lore. I can't wait to hear more from you. That was so nice. No. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the next one comes to us from none other than the Dooku King himself. Can you believe it? No. The King of the Deku came and sent us a message. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> says, I love Legend of Zelda. This is the best Legend of Zelda podcast I've ever listened to. Can't wait to hear more L-O-Z. We can't wait to talk about more of it. It's going to be fun. I hope so, since, you know, we do a show on it. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one comes to us from Love Majora's Mask. And it says Love Majora's Mask. Uh, off, amazing. I'm going to say they're right. They have the right <laughs> opinion. Good on they you. They do. Love Majora's yeah. Mask. <laughs> <laughs> one of uh, my favorites as well. Oh, yes. It's a great one. Uh, amazing podcast. Can't wait to listen to you the next. You guys do great work. Keep it up. Well, thank you. Again, another nice one. So lovely. Um, the next one comes to us from uh, Alphabet Suit. <laughs> we get another one that's a bunch of strings of letters. Uh, I'm just going to call uh, BCNN. There we go. <laughs> uh, love the podcast, but I noticed something on the first episode. I noticed on the first episode, you were talking about the Triforce and there being blue, green, and red. And if you go and play Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, there's dragons, red, blue, and green. So do you think they are, think the Triforce is connected to the dragons? So what we were talking about the episode wasn't the color of the Triforce itself, but the colors that the Golden Goddesses represented within the Triforce. However, we'll get more into these dragons as we get into further games. Um, though they're not connected to the Triforce, they are severely connected to the goddess Hylia herself. And, uh, yes, the ones from Breath of the Wild are connected to the Golden Goddesses and the goddess Hylia even now. So, can't wait for that dive. Uh, Ariel's been shooting a lot of those dragons, too, lately in Breath of the Wild. I gotta tell everybody my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> she's dropping them <laughs> so that is it for our reviews Ariel what what do you got for us anything awesome crazy cool no oh this is really cool Ooh, let's hear it so it's a Legend of Zelda white gold Nintendo switch skin yes and this comes from Lux skins and it's absolutely gorgeous and you get uh, one Switch console vinyl. You get one Switch dock vinyl. Ooh. And you get one Switch Joy-Con vinyl. Ooh. And it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yes, that is beautiful. Yeah. And it costs money. <laughs> they aren't giving it out for free no no what is this it costs 29.99 well it's not bad and you know that's before taxes and shipping mm -hmm. and all that fun stuff but it's absolutely gorgeous and i was going to buy you one <gasps> because white and gold is your favorite it is <laughs> i blame legend of zelda <laughs> uh so that brings us to, um, I see a face on the computer screen and it looks like Wolf is excited to give us something. What do you got, Wolf? So I went on a journey here to find something expensive, but worth it. So <laughs> <laughs> clocking in at $300. Whoa. <laughs> I bring to you a replica of the Master Sword from Breath of the Wild. High carbon Damascus steel leather wrapped handle with brass. Oh my goodness. And guards. Can I has Ariel? It is a double edged blade and it is gorgeous. I, I can has though, Ariel? No. <laughs> no. Do you want to know why you can't have it? Why can't I has? I'm dropping because... a picture into the chat for people. Ah, look at that! That thing Coming is gorgeous! Too. Oh yeah. 
<gasps> no, you can't. Because you came home with a katana? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just no. Because... Just because I came home with a different sword. You no. can't I can't have No. Because <laughs> hmm, listeners, let me tell you a little something about Aaron. Oh. Okay. He doesn't hurt himself. He hurts everyone around him. That's not. It's, it was. It's a hundred percent true, and <laughs> I'm gonna get like my fingers chopped off or <laughs> my foot, an entire leg. Uh, listen. Uh, it's, it's true. It's true. Uh, no. <laughs> so no. No more swords for you. <sighs> Spoilers. So yeah, if you have three hundred dollars <laughs> lying around, come get this. It's beautiful. <laughs> It is gorgeous. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes for both of these things. Uh, so you can have four links. Honestly, <laughs> it is gorgeous. Uh, I think we are going to have four links <laughs> for four swords. Uh, Kex, did you bring us something? This uh, lovely little mid-break we have. When I back when I was looking for a spiritual stone set, you might have actually sent me this, Aaron. But it was. A spiritual stone set from Ocarina of Time for a fish tank. Yes, if I recall correctly, um, the gold parts were inlaid with rocks so that it would blend more in with the fish tank. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it was very, very well made, it looks like, and with almost no differences. There is even a little mount to put them on. Ooh. And Yes, it, it it looks very much like it was designed to have been underwater for a very long time. I remember this one for now, your yeah. fish tank, but also if you wanted to think far too deeply into it, you could say this is what became of the spiritual stones in the adult timeline. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I'm sure the I really just want to not think that, but this is what I do. <laughs> I really just want this to put on my mantle, honestly. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty it's pretty realistic looking. I like the design of it. Uh, I think it came from I Joffiel Studio. I think is who made it. Yes, that is what it says here. And it's even actually titled the Wild Era Spiritual Stone Set. So I guess it was replicated to be as if it was in the uh, Breath of the Wild timeline. So that is pretty cool. Interesting. And it, is, it does have a great deal of reviews and sales So and mm -hmm. very highly rated. So people seem to swear by this. <laughs> so if you're looking for your own spiritual stone set from the Breath of the Wild era, uh, go check this one out. It's going to be in the show notes. <laughs> so I guess that brings me to to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I brought a mask last episode. I brought Majora's actual replica mask last episode. And I thought I would stay on that kind of track and bring us the fierce deity mask uh, replica for this episode. So if you go on Etsy, uh, the seller is Spawns. You can purchase a uh, life-size replica Fierce Deity uh, Majora's Mask mask. It is 3D parent printed, and you can get it in two sizes and two styles. So you can either get it already pre-painted or not painted, um, or you can get it medium size or larger size. Uh, it does vary in price all the way up from as little as $115 to all the way up to $200 for this mask. But the reviews on it say that it's really high quality. It's really good. And it's it's awesome. And it honestly looks really good and looks a lot like the Fierce Danny mask from the Majora's Mask game. So uh, if you're interested, go check it out. Links in the show notes as the huge. And let's see if Ariel bites this time. I think that's it for the middle of the episode. Okay, let's go on. You're not going to bite this time? I'm a lover, not a fighter. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to get on buying an ocarina. I do. You've still, you've challenged me to a battle. I've challenged a duel. you to a duel. An ocarina, a duel of the ocarinas. Do you know where you can get an ocarina? No idea. I still, I wasn't paying attention the last time you said it last episode. So. You never pay attention <laughs> never. to what I say anyways, so. 
head on over to STL Ocarina and use our promo code LOZLORE10 to save 10%. Do it right now. That's so demanding. I'm a very demanding person. Okay, I'll go do it right now just because you said to. <laughs> yes. Uh, all jokes aside, uh, STL Ocarina does make some really high quality ocarinas. And it's not just Legend of Zelda themed ocarinas. You've also got uh, Final Fantasy themed ocarinas. You have D&D themed ocarinas. They've even got a couple Star Wars themed ocarinas on there now. Um, so if any of these tickle your fancy and you want to try learning the ocarina or even just owning one yourself, go check it out. Yeah, because not only do you get the ocarina, you also get the songbook. Or, you mm-hmm. know, like a songbook, how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. Very cool. Stop. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, well, that is really the end of the middle of the episode. So let's jump on to the end of the episode and talk a couple more theories. And then we will finish with uh, my Breath of the Wild theory I've got going on. <laughs> Well, here we are. We're at the end of the episode. I had to sing that one. Where are you at, Ariel? It was lovely. Um, <laughs> sorry, my eardrums burst, so oh. I can't finish this episode. <laughs> All right, so we've had a lot of talk with fan theories. We've we've actually, I feel like we've actually discovered some solutions to some mysteries, honestly, with these theories. Uh, But Kex, you have a few more for us. So do you want to take the floor? Yes, thank you. (laughs) And so I I want to take things down a little bit here. This one is minor, but still, I think, pretty interesting. I know you are familiar with this concept, Aaron, but Ariel and Wolf, Are you familiar with the tectonic upheaval theory behind why Hyrule looks different each era? Nope. (laughs) No. So it is it is relatively simple as I did not come up with this, but as I understand it, some people think whether due to magic or just due to the nature of the whatever planet that Hyrule is on, because I think it is pretty clear that it is not Earth. People think online that the tectonic plates of the world sometimes shift much, much, much more rapidly than in our own world, which takes millions of years. I believe the original continent that they theorize about that was on Earth was Pangea, and mm-hmm. over the course of millions of years it broke apart. It is a similar principle to that, except it is more like puzzle pieces breaking apart and rearranging themselves, um, each in a different order each time, which is why sometimes you will see the desert to the east, and in another game it will be to the west. Or in Breath of the Wild, the Kokiri Forest is to the north, whereas in other games it is in the south, and then still other games it is to the west, and so forth. The reason why I bring this up, I'm going to send the three of you a picture of the map as it appears in Four Sword. It is very, very different compared to anything else we have ever seen in the series. So much so to the point that I think it may actually lend credence to this theory. It looks like several pieces of Hyrule just slammed together all at once. Um, and f- because this is an audio format. For the listeners, you will see that there is a large forest to the southeast, a giant blue mountain with waterfalls running down it to the southwest, 
with icicles coming out the top, no less. And then literally right next to that, to the north, are three, it appears to be currently erupting volcanoes. The sky around the area is completely red. There's smoke coming out of them. The craters are lit up. It looks like they are erupting. So I actually think this game may be taking place during or possibly at the end of one of these great tectonic shifts. Especially because of the three volcanoes, I cannot think of any other game that has even two volcanoes in it at once, let alone three. Now, of course, one of them is probably Death Mountain. The second one may be Mount Cranel from Minish Cap. Mm-hmm. The third one, though, the only one that I can think of might be the volcanic region in Holodrum, of all places, which we see in Oracle of Ages. For those who may not know, Holodrum is a completely different country from Hyrule. That is my only thought as to where this third volcano could have come from. And again, I must point out the proximity between the volcano and the Eistolver Mountain. The two mm-hmm. are right next to each other. And the only way for the two of them to coexist that closely together is if it must have just happened again either by an extreme version of nature that we do not see in reality or magic divine intervention mm-hmm. i can't i can't say that i completely disagree with this theory but i have my own i've been working on it's kind of got some loose ends so I don't want to talk about it yet, but it will come up when we get to the Ocarina of Time part of this series, uh, when we actually focus on a lot of the maps from Skyward moving forward and comparing them and seeing where things are located. And it'll even come into more of into play when we finally get to Breath of the Wild, because it has to do with the actual Hyrule Castle. Which is noticeably absent from this map now that you Ex- mention it. Exactly. So we'll get to that. We'll get to my theory when we finally get to uh, Ocarina of Time, uh, and we're talking a lot more theories that during that time. Um, but I can't. I can't say I completely disagree with tectonic shift. But I think there's more to it than that. I think there's a lot more to it than just tectonically shifting plates and things like that. Um, I think it actually has to do a lot with the castle location in each game, but we'll get there. <laughs> I'm already curious, though. I, I have told you, despite this theory, map work is not a specialty of mine. <laughs> I do not think I excel at it at all. No, um, it's, it's okay. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but the tectonic upheaval theory is not my own. I... I do wish I knew who to credit, honestly, but it was so prevalent when I researched it that it was honestly sort of impossible to tell who came up with it first. So, whoever it was, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, what's this next theory you got for us? What's the last one you got? This is a strange one, I fully admit. (laughs) (laughs) But... I presume if, if you um, played this recently, I do not know how long ago you played or watched this to research this section of your show. But if you recall, the fairies of Hyrule played an unusually large role in this game. Do you remember that? Uh, oh, you're talking about Four Swords itself. Yes. Yes, Four Swords. Yeah. My apologies. Yes. So we see great fairies. We see fairy shards, of all things, from Majora's Mask. As far as I know, these are the only two games that fairy shards appear in, which is to say those strange-looking pink, green, blue, it depends on the temple, fairies that you collect throughout the temples of Majora's Mask. Those Mm -hmm. actually make an appearance again in this game. Mm-hmm. And to top it all off, fairies, the normal kind that just heal you, 
they are much, much easier to find in this game than I think any other game in the series. Just by cutting grass, they frequently appear. In addition to that, of course, you have the Great Fairies actively facilitating your progress towards confronting Vati. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering why this was our first time playing through it. And I wonder... We know both during the Hero of the Four Swords era and this Hero's era, which... I call this hero the hero of fairies because of how prevalent the fairies are in this game, but <laughs> I I do not think he actually has a true title, which is why I call him that. But I, I think Wolf recently corrected me on this. I, I think Wolf said, yes, he is giving me a thumbs up. The four <laughs> who are one, correct? Yes. yes. So the, the hero that... The, the four, that is one. <laughs> um, that is my little title for him. But in any case, I digress. I think what may be happening here is, especially with great fairies, great fairies typically, not always, but typically take the form of beautiful women. Now, we know that ever since the first time Vati broke out of his uh, uh, prison in the Four Sword. He has been kidnapping beautiful women and taking them to the Wind Palace. Why he's doing this? It's maybe because of simple mental decay. I think it is both that and also he may still have an obsession with power in a sense. He commented on how Zelda looked like a noblewoman. And so I think maybe he may be selecting the women based off of their status, potentially. A different kind of power. Social power. But mm-hmm. I digress again. <laughs> um, when we consider that most great fairies look like beautiful women, I wonder if perhaps Vati was not limiting himself to purely human victims during his first breakout with the Hero of the Four Sword. I actually wonder if he had kidnapped or at least attempted to kidnap fairies or even worse, great fairies. When we look at the history of the series, This does not seem totally impossible. Great fairies have been harmed before. The most well-known of these instances is probably Majora's Mask again. We see um, the Skull Kid actually shatter the great fairies into pieces, five of them, no less. Mm -hmm. And he is actually able to physically punch a normal fairy. So despite the fact that they are classified as spirits, they are physical, they are tangible, they can be harmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Furthermore, we also see that they are subject to magic and curses. In A Link to the Past, there is a great fairy that is mutated by the Dark World into being what a, it almost looks like she is half great fairy and half moblin. It, it is sort of a piggish form. And then, even more extreme, we see in the Oracle of Ages a great fairy that has been changed literally into an Octorok. Not <laughs> a hybrid, an actual Octorok. So, for someone as powerful as Vati, even though he has lost strength during the four, or since the Minish Cap, I think it would be well within his realm of possibility to harm or kidnap great fairies. This slight may have been remembered since the Hero of the Four Swords era, and once Vati breaks free again during... Wolf has sent me another suggestion. The Hero Divided's era? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That is is much easier to say. I appreciate that. (laughs) 
when we see Vati break free in the Hero Divided era and kidnap Zelda, the fairies as a race may remember what happened in the past, and this may account for just how much they mobilize in this game to assist Link in, in eliminating Vati. They're mm. absolutely coming out of every corner of Hyrule in this game. It is very unusual. So <clears throat> there is another theory that explains the fear of the fairies. I won't go too much into it, but what I will say is that between Skyward Sword and Minish Cap, before we get to Four Swords, there is very few fairies actually seen. Yes. And then all of a sudden in Four Swords, we have a ton of them. So a lot of people are actually theorizing that fairies actually came into existence around this time. Or some sort of pop either came out of baby. hiding, you know, instead of maybe coming into existence, they may have come out of hiding at this time. So it's actually one of two possibilities here. And it's not to say that it can't be both, actually, because, I mean, the fairies could have come out at this time That's and just... still been kidnapped. You do raise a good point as well. Um, I I would be lying if I said I remembered exactly how easy fairies were to come by in Minish Cap. But I, I remember there being the three um, insect great fairies. Mm-hmm. Did normal fairies make an appearance in Minish Cap? Um, I'm not sure if they did. I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to look at that up and get back to it because I can't quite remember. But yes, you do raise a good point. It could very well be a hybrid of the two. I, I do think there is something, whether or not my theory is right or wrong, I do think there is a little bit more to the four sword fairies simply because numbers is one thing they could be experiencing a population boom but mm. the great fairies in particular taking such an active role in no other game do we ever see the fairies and link for example a giant key saying here this will unlock ganon's front door <laughs> Go get him. <laughs> and Go that get is him. exactly what they do here. Now, they do need a great deal of rupees to do so, I grant you, which is something uh -huh. they have in common with Breath of the Wild great fairies. Yeah. But the point is, is they have never taken such an active role. So it is probably a combination of multiple theories. Yeah, I would say it's safe to say so. All right, so before we wrap this episode up, I got to go over my theory real quick. Yes. <clears throat> this is a quickie, so bear with me. So, there's a lot of time shenanigans in the Legend of Zelda series. First, we have it in Ocarina of Time. Then we have it in... Uh, we have it in Skyward Sword. We've got it again in Breath of the Wild. Uh, but... Age of Calamity, you know, there's, I can keep going on, there's a bunch of time shenanigans going on in Zelda series, is the point. We talked about exactly where does the Breath of the Wild fall in the timeline. Now, this doesn't answer that question, but it may lighten some loads on figuring out where all these relics came from. In the Discord, we talked briefly about possibly having the Guardians and other mechanical beasts that the Sheikah created powered by none other than time stones. This is a huge possibility because the time stones glow the same color as all of the ancient symbols and things that we see on these Sheikah relics. In addition to that, in Age of Calamity, the guardian, the little, the little guardian robot that helps Zelda out does utilize time, tele time techniques to teleport in the past. So all that being said, Here's where it gets interesting. When you utilize an amiibo in Breath of the Wild, when it manifests something, it also utilizes that same blue light that we see in any of the other Sheikah artifacts that are utilized. So some of those amiibos can give you things like the hero's, you know, the hero of time's tunic and 
the uh, Biggeron sword, and these things are from other games. It might be safe to assume at some point that this is actually us tearing a rift in the time-space continuum and pulling these items out. Which could also explain all the other DLC content we had being from other timelines. So it may not be like we originally theorized where the timelines collide into one. It may still be one timeline, but because of the Sheik attack, we can manipulate other timelines. It's a possibility in its own too. Especially when Breath of the Wild 2, we know there's a lot of time manipulation uh, abilities that we're going to be getting just from the preview alone. So it's something that's something to chew on for you for a little bit. <laughs> that has interesting implications when you think about it, because that almost implies that. And I, I know this is not exactly what you are getting at, but the irony is that if this is taken a certain way, we have been trying to figure out you know, if if this game did take place in a merge timeline, how did the timelines merge? The last time I was on this show, I had presented a theory about that involving Maladus. Mm-hmm. But if we take your theory a step further, it could be argued that we are the ones that merged it. We, the players, in real life... <laughs> Originally, Breath of the Wild was set in one timeline, and then we caused the merging of all of these items and all these different inconsistencies. Almost as if, <laughs> for those who have played Hyrule Warriors, almost as if we are Sia opening gates to different eras and drawing things through. Could be another possibility. <laughs> so with all that being said I didn't mean to cut you off Kex I'm sorry oh no it is fine I I forgot what I was going to say it was not important <laughs> do not fear uh, alright so well with all that being said I think this is the perfect time to end this episode I had lots of fun this was awesome we got to talk some awesome theories and get to get a little bit more deep dives into four swords and the next episode, I think we're going to start adventuring into the Ocarina of Time space. So until next time, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Kex, for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Wolf, thanks for hanging. Thanks for watching. <laughs> and if we wanted to talk to you, Kex, or we wanted to hang out with you, where could we catch you at? Where could we hang with you? Honestly, the best spot to find me at is this very Discord for the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. I do have a Twitter, but I do not check it very often, <laughs> to be honest. So please, Aww. come join us in the Discord. You can have all kinds of fun chats. All right, Wolf, where can we check you out? Where can we find you out? What are you up to? Well, you know, I'm sitting here talking podcast with you. Um, <laughs> you can find me in the Discord with everybody else. Uh, I streamed to Twitch. Like today, we did a JRPG called Wild Arms. Super cool. I'm streaming more on there now. You can find me everywhere on the internet as Wolf's Lore. You can also check out, you want more of me, uh, Ariel. As well as a co-host, we have a podcast called uh, The Academy of Terror. We talk horror culture on there. Give it a listen. It's cool. That's what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. <sighs> and Ariel. Yeah. Which podcast do you want to drop today? You know what? I haven't dropped. Hmm. And you, you know, keep promising in Patreon for <laughs> Call Cthulhu Mythos Mysteries. Oh, that's for our 18 and up fans. Yes, I am the <laughs> keeper of that. And it is a Call of Cthulhu 7th edition live play podcast. Mm -hmm. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah. This season, uh, it's been a lot more fun because I get to play a uh, overpowered pulp character <laughs> with eight different personalities. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, I do want to give another shout out this episode to the wonderful, wonderful gents over at Hello Hyrule, uh, Chris and Pete. If you haven't bothered to give them a listen yet, do yourself a favor and go check them out. It's a wonderful podcast. It's a lots of fun. Uh, they go and explore Hyrule to the fullest game by game. They've done Skyward Sword. They're on Minish Cap right now, and they're moving on to Four Swords pretty soon. Uh, it's wonderful. If you ever wondered what Octorok tasted like. No. Um, if you ever wondered what a fairy might taste like. No. Or if you ever just wondered... Uh, what? <laughs> Always. <laughs> or if you ever just wondered where the coolest spots in Hyrule to hang out, do yourself a favor, go check it out. It pairs wonderfully with this podcast. I, um, <laughs> it pairs wonderfully with the wine. It pairs wonderfully with the wine. <laughs> it's a lot to rock. Uh, they are, they're great. It's fun. It's, it's a blast to listen to. Go check them out. Uh, that podcast is Hello Hyrule once again, and you can get it wherever you go so you get your podcast. So, without further ado, thank you all for listening. Tune in next week. Bye. Thank you all for listening to the Legend of Zelda Lorecast tonight. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. If you did, tell a friend, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can chat with us all things Legend of Zelda on the Robots Radio Discord. Or you can get hold of us on our Twitter at LOZ Lorecast. Intro and outro are done by Bentonal Landscape. Links are in the show notes below. Till next time, dear listener, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. <laughs>